All right, take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to be uh, starting uh, in verse 35 this morning. And we're going to cover actually uh, a little longer section. Uh, it's uh, good wisdom when, when preparing a sermon is to carry, uh, to cover a whole paragraph. It's like any other type of literature. If you only pick one sentence out of a, uh, out of a paragraph, you might, miss the, the, you might get the meaning wrong. And uh, so at least one paragraph. This time we're going to get a couple paragraphs. Because uh, I think that, and it's hard to really distinguish, it's not hard to distinguish the paragraphs, it's hard to break them apart with the way Mark writes, and immediately, and immediately, Mark just uh, goes, uh, I, I said, I, I can only imagine if, if Mark lived the way he wrote, uh, he was uh, pistol. Uh, he, uh, he, was, uh, he was bouncing around, uh, we, uh, we say all the time about Kylie back there, uh, she's the busiest little girl. Uh, she's into everything. And uh, Mark, I got a feeling that's what they said about him when he was a little toddler. He's a busy little fellow. Uh, he's in there. Get down, Mark. Quit, Mark. You know, just, uh, I expect he heard that a lot based on the way uh, that he writes. What we're going to look at this morning is a continuation of uh, the story uh, that we uh, have, uh, have, have been looking at. Uh, last week we looked, uh, we talked about uh, Mark uh, or Jesus being uh, at Simon's house and mother-in-law, uh, Simon's mother-in-law being sick and Jesus heals her and because of that, uh, the whole neighborhood uh, comes and says, hey, we wanna see this guy uh, that uh, healed Simon. We've heard what he did. Uh, we heard about him down at the temple. Uh, we heard what he did here. And so we want to we wanna meet him. We've got some sick folks too. And uh, so the next morning, uh, the Bible tells us the events continue, uh, that uh, Jesus goes off and uh, begins to pray. As I look at that, uh, what I see that uh, I think is important for us and uh, that you can uh, take, I believe, out of this text, uh, are the secrets of the Savior's success. What made Jesus successful in his earthly ministry? Uh, you can only imagine, I get uh, a lot of mail, a lot of phone calls, a lot of invitations uh, to conferences and uh, to buy books, uh, to get involved in programs uh, that are the latest, greatest, guaranteed uh, program or method for uh, building a great church. There are, uh, there are countless uh, ideas. The, the library is full uh, of those type of books. You don't see conferences as often anymore. Conferences have kind of uh, got out of, uh, out of uh, popularity as COVID came through and kind of quit gathering uh, in conference settings. But, uh, but there is a lot of ideas about what we need to do. And over the years, uh, the church has tried almost all of them. Uh, we have, uh, the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, uh, not just here, but the church in general. Uh, we have tried most everything uh, to gather a crowd. We have tried most everything to impact our, and that's great, I, that's, that's good, we should. Uh, we have tried, if you go back far enough, uh, many of you can remember back in the day, if you weren't, if you didn't have a couple of buses running around town, you weren't trying. 
Uh, you, you had to have a bus minister. Uh, Elmer Towns uh, called them, uh, says there are, are, are anointed methods. Uh, and what he means by that is in the 70s, you had to have a bus minister. If you tried that today, uh, unless you were really in a really rural area, uh, you would go bankrupt buying fuel for empty buses because there's nobody uh, putting their, for the most part, nobody putting their kid on a bus with a bunch of strangers. Uh, not in this day and time. Uh, and so it's just not as popular. Uh, there's a lot of things we have uh, done over the years and tried uh, over the years. What I see in what Jesus did is a foolproof plan. Uh, it worked for Jesus. I believe it will work today if we look at uh, the, the few things he does right here uh, after uh, healing Simon's mother, uh, Simon's mother, excuse me, and the neighborhood. Uh, the Bible tells us that the first thing that happened uh, after that, it says he rose up early and went into the wilderness, into a desolate place, depending on uh, which translation you are reading. Uh, he went out into a barren place, a lonely place, a, uh, whatever, uh, a lot of different ways that uh, is, uh, is translated uh, in different uh, versions. But uh, he went into a solitary place uh, is what the King James Version calls it. Uh, but he went off by himself, and there it says three words, and there pray, and there pray. First thing I see that Jesus did that I think made him a made, made his earthly ministry successful and is a absolute uh, undeniable requirement if if the church uh, is going to be successful today or any other day in any other time in history. Uh, again, bus ministry was great at one time. Door-to-door uh, -door visitation was great at, at one time. Those things all came and went. What I want to talk to you about today are some, uh, are some principles uh, that stand the test of time. The bus ministry needed what we're going to talk about today. Door-to-door -door visitation needs what we're going to talk about today. RAs, GAs, Iwanas, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever it is, music ministry, whatever it is, needs the things that we're talking about today to undergird and to support them. And that is, first of all, that we see that Jesus again went out into a solitary place and prayed. And prayed. Plain and simple. If the Son of God needed to pray, we need to pray. That, that's a, a, a no-brainer. If the Son of God during His earthly ministry felt it important to get up early and to go out and to pray, then the church of Jesus Christ today needs to feel the same urgency, needs to have the same emphasis on the issue, on the practice of prayer. When we look at this, there are uh, there are actually three prayers recorded in, in the Gospel of Mark. There, there are a number of prayers uh, recorded all total uh, in the various Gospels, but Mark uh, records three for us. This being uh, the first one, uh, as his ministry uh, is beginning, as his ministry is being uh, defined. Uh, the second prayer we will find later, right in the middle uh, of uh, his ministry, right in the middle uh, of the gospel when the people wanted to take him 
by force and make him king. And then the final prayer, the third prayer that Mark uh, includes for us, uh, is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we see Jesus at three important junctions in his uh, in his ministry that uh, the first thing he does before he goes to the cross is he goes to Gethsemane and pray. The first thing he does uh, when the people uh, are trying to tempt him uh, to, to do something that was not the Father's will for his ministry was he prays. The first thing he does before he launches out and goes out into the out into the uh, into the uh, into the neighborhood, out into the surrounding territory, and begins his ministry is he stops. To pray. I, I don't think you have to be uh, a biblical scholar uh, or, uh, or, or very smart to figure out real quickly the emphasis that Jesus puts uh, on the issue uh, of prayer. Let, let's take a moment and, uh, and look at just exactly how, what do we learn about prayer from Jesus. Several, I think, very, uh, very important uh, little things that just pop up uh, in, in this passage. It says, in the morning, rising up a great deal, a great while before day. First thing I noticed about the prayer of Jesus that day was it was the first thing he did. He got up early and prayed. Before Jesus, you, you've heard this saying before, before we talk to man about anything, talk to God about everything. The first thing uh, that the Son of God did that day was rise up early to go pray. The first thing uh, that he did uh, before he talked to man, before he preached, before he healed, was he prayed and talked to his Father. Uh, we, we need to learn uh, that practice. We uh, tend to uh, kind of relegate prayer. We push prayer down the uh, down the down the chain when when everything else is done, when the day is done, when supper's done, when the dishes are washed, when the kids are got uh, got ready for bed, when they've done their homework, when we've got our shower, when we've got ready for bed. Right there at the last minute, we decide, well, I'm going to pray. And what happens nine times out of ten is when we try that method, we make it about 15 seconds into that prayer, and we we just have to catch you tomorrow. God, I'm done. Yeah, we, we need to make prayer an emphasis. We need to make prayer uh, an a important part of our life. Prayer should be as important to the believer as water. Prayer should be as important to the believer as oxygen, as sleeping, as, uh, as those things. Prayer should be as important. Prayer should be more important to us than, uh, than many of the things that, uh, that we have uh, put ahead of prayer. We put uh, our uh, our work life, we put uh, family, we put, uh, sometimes we even put church before prayer. Listen, don't, don't, come, you know, don't come to church till you prayed about it. You know, don't, don't come to church till you pray for your teacher, pray for the preacher, pray for the musicians, pray for the singers, pray for yourself that you will hear and understand what it is the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you today. Listen. We have got to elevate prayer back to the, to the urgency and the importance uh, that it is uh, in the life of Jesus Christ. Again, if it was that important to Him, how important uh, should it be to us? He rose up early and went and prayed. 
Then the second thing in this, in, in this little sentence that it says was he went out and he went to a solitary place. He went to a desolate place. He went to a lonely place. He didn't only get up and pray early. It wasn't just urgent to him, important to him, emphasized in his life. It was important enough that he went somewhere where no one or no thing would distract him. We need to, I think we need to get back to having a place of prayer in our homes. A place that we have taken and this is my place of prayer. It doesn't have to be elegant. It doesn't have to be decorated with pictures of Christ and have uh, the Christian flag, flag hanging on the wall. It can be your bathroom. You know, it just needs to be, you know, it, you know, you got an extra closet. Clean out the closet. Many of you have heard people talk about their prayer closet. Many of you, you your kids have, uh, have gotten married moved out. you got a spare bedroom. You know, you, Lord, you prayed over your children enough. And you, you know, and go ahead and take their room now. Uh, and, and keep praying for them. Use their room. Make you a place designate a place that this is where I am going to pray. It may be sitting in your car in the parking lot at lunch. I don't care. I don't think it matters. It doesn't say where that solitary place was. And the way the architecture there, uh, at that time the houses were, uh, were, were built with flat roofs. There was often uh, a stairway, a staircase on the outside that went up on the roof. And that was uh, much like their, uh, their, their porch and our houses. He might have been up on top of the roof. He might have been out in the bushes. I don't know. But I know that he went out to be by himself with just him and God. Do you have a solitary place? Do you have a place where you go to meet God? While I'm there, if you have that solitary place, if you have that place and it doesn't have an open Bible in it, it's not complete. You don't have to have a picture of Jesus, but you do need to have an open Bible there. I, I, I just, I, I, I am coming, and many of you have heard me say this, I, 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 I didn't originate it. I've heard it from some great men of God who have influenced me over the years. Dr. Daniel Henderson, uh, Dr. Doug Small. I heard Doug said yesterday, as a matter of fact, you can't pray effectively without an open Bible. And uh, I've got to be honest with you. About the only person that I respect more than Doug Small when it comes to the issue of prayer is Jesus. You just have to be around Doug for a little bit. You have to hear him teach. You have to hear him preach. You have to hear him pray. And you'll know that this man, I, I'm working on getting him here. I keep talking about him. I, I'm hoping Doug travels all over the world. And, and he lives in, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to go ahead with him. He's Pentecostal. He calls himself Pentecostal. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but, but uh, again, I, I heard him make that statement yesterday. You cannot pray effectively without your Bible. Listen, Jesus went out into a solitary place. We see he prayed. We see where he, when he prayed. We see where he prayed. Let's talk about why he prayed. Why did Jesus do that? Why in the world 
did Jesus get up early and go out and pray? Why would Jesus pray anyway? I mean, he, he's the Son of God. So why did he pray? Well, let's think about it for a moment. Look back, think about it for a moment, and Mark, the method Mark writes, and immediately, and immediately, and really reveals it to us. Think about the last few days of Jesus' life. He's walked up through, uh, around Galilee. He's called disciples. He's been in the temple. He's cast out a demon. He's healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law. He, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's dealt with all the sick people in town and all the demon-possessed people. You know what i got to think happened? Well, one of the main reasons why, I know where he prayed, I know when he prayed. You know, one of the reasons, and I'm speculating here, I, I know where and when for a fact, but I, I'm going to speculate a little bit about why. First of all, Jesus, listen, he was son of God. He was in human flesh. He was tired. And he went and talked to his father because he needed that time with God. He talked to him because he was tired. Second of all, what was another thing going on? He was about to launch out into his ministry. He was about to go out, we'll see that in just a moment, when the disciples come and say, hey, Jesus, what are you doing out here alone? Come on back to town. we got work to do. And Jesus says, no, we need to go. i got to preach. He was about to launch into his earthly ministry, and he stopped and talked to the Father about an important event in his life. Are you learning anything about Jesus and prayer and how he prayed? He prayed when he was tired. You know what I think? Most of us don't pray when we're tired. We take a nap and we say, I'll catch you later, Lord. When he was tired, he knew he needed refreshing. He knew he needed energy. He knew he was good. He, he knew he needed for God to come in. And he needed the Father to, to, to energize him and launch him out. He was about to go out into his earthly ministry. In other words, there was about to be a major transition in his life. There was about to be a big change in his life. Do we, do we pray about the changes and the, uh, and the uh, opportunities in our life? Not only that, he is about to be here. He's got the whole town came to, uh, to gather around him and wants him to heal them. I uh, want them to deal with the demons. This morning, they're back and they're wanting more. We know what's going to happen. It eventually does happen. I, I talked about it a moment ago at his second prayer. His second prayer came about when the people came and were determined to make him king if they had to force him to be king. Listen, Jesus prayed because there was about to be a real temptation to do it his way. But he came to do the will of the Father. He prayed when he was tired. He prayed over opportunities. He prayed because of temptation. I've heard people actually say to me sometimes, I, I just don't know what to pray for. Well, you must have been in a coma. Because if you've been out of the house, if you've been awake, you've run into something to pray for. I'll just give you three that most all of us deal with. We're tired. Anybody in here tired? Been tired? Think you're going to be tired? If you're not tired, Tommy and Kenny are both tired. 
We'll let you bore some holes in concrete. They'll be tight. They'll shrink good that night, won't they, Kenny? Yeah. I'm going to let you stand up some steel. Guaranteed. Those of you can't sleep, i got the cure for your inside. A good hard day's work. You won't even need a clean conscience. It's a good hard day's work. You'll sleep. Tired. About to make a major decision. Anybody here have to make decisions? All the time. Anybody here ever been tempted? If Jesus prayed over those three things, we need to pray. The church of Jesus Christ, we're going to be successful. We may launch whatever program. We may invest, multiply thousands in our music program. We may build huge structures, children's programs, youth programs. But we don't learn to pray. I come back to what I said last week. When the disciples were wondering how are we going to do this, they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They didn't say, teach us to heal. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Whatever else it is we do, the prayer of Jesus is our model. Second thing I see in this passage is not only the prayer of Jesus, we already touched on this a second. Some of you may have picked up on it and figured this out. The preaching of Jesus. The disciples come to Jesus while he's praying. Isn't that the way it always works? It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the devil interrupting Jesus' prayer, it was the disciples. But he's praying, and the disciples come and Interrupt his prayer. And Simon and they, verse 20, uh, verse, excuse me, 36. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. That's a good thing, I guess. But they interrupted his prayer. When they found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Let me interject something else about his prayer life right there. They followed after him and they found him. Evidently, this wasn't the first time Jesus had went to pray because they knew where to look for him. Wasn't the first time they knew where to look for him. He says, All men seek for thee. And he said to them, Let us go to the next town that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. When Simon woke up that morning and the other disciples, at that point, I can only imagine they woke up. Man, I can't wait to see what happens today. We done run off some demons down at the temple. We done, man, he's done healed everybody in town. What next? And they go look, and he's gone. Begin to look for him, and they find him praying. They find him praying. They come to him and say, "Come on, Jesus, we got to get back to town. All men are looking for you. There's more to be healed. There's more people who need healing. They're pouring into town from all over the area." Wanting to see you and wanting to be healed. You can imagine they didn't 
evening CNN, they didn't need Fox. The news was spreading like wildfire. There's a man in Capernaum healing the cripple, giving the blind back their sight. Pack up the wagons, Mama. We're going to Capernaum. Come on, Jesus. We got to get back there. All men seek you. All men want to find you. Luke, you look in the Gospel of Luke, Luke shows us in Luke chapter 6 just how strong was this. Uh, verse 42, when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. They were determined to get him back to town. The word stayed is an extremely strong Greek word. They were determined just before grabbing him by the arms and dragging him back to town. They tried to detain him and hold him and keep him from going. The people were, the disciples were. Jesus says, I didn't come to heal. Well, that probably disappointed a lot of folks and maybe disappoints some folks here. But Jesus says, no, get your stuff. We're going to go on down the road. We're going to go on to town that I may preach. And then look at those next words in that verse. That I may preach there also for therefore. That's the reason I came. I have now prayed, I will now preach. I have prayed, now I'm going to preach. We can try all the programs in the world, folks. We can get the best, most comfortable seats. We can adjust the thermostat just right. We can spend, multiply thousands in music and children and adult and youth ministries. But if we don't proclaim the gospel, we have failed. We can buy a dozen buses and go back to 1974 and we can go out and we can bust them in. But if we get them bust in here and we don't tell them about Jesus, all we've done is take them on a tour of 28027. We may as well have taken them to the hardest. His prayer and His preaching. Those, those two things... Jesus shows us they survived the test of time. Doesn't matter how much the disciples beg and plead. Doesn't how much matter how much the people twist his arm and try to get him to come back to town and try to get him to heal more people. He says, my concern is more than the physical needs of these people. I came to deal with the spiritual needs of these people. Folks, we have, and some of you have heard me on this topic before, and I'm still on it because we haven't got it figured out yet. The church in 2023 is very, very concerned 
about the social gospel. You know what the social gospel is? The social gospel is the great big term we use to talk about passing out food to the hungry, clothing to the naked, housing to the homeless, those kinds of things. And I would not for a moment, and anybody who knows me after 28 years now, you know I don't mind in a skinny minute taking up a load of food, doing what we can to meet the physical needs of those who are hurting. But if we feed them and they go away lost, have we really been like Jesus? Can I tell you, quite frankly, that's the reason many of the efforts and the programs and the emphasis of the church in the last 40 years have fallen flat on their face? is because we have left out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's great to fill their bellies. It's wonderful to make sure they've got a warm coat. We do all of those things here as much as possible. But if they've got a warm coat and a full belly and an empty heart, they're still going to go to hell in a warm coat where they don't need it and a full belly. The prayer of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus, crucially important to notice the exact words of Jesus. He doesn't mince words in no uncertain terms. He says, my mission is to preach. Preach. why I came, he said. Healing? Sure. He's going to heal a lot of people in his earthly ministry. He's going to do a lot of miracles in his earthly ministry. But every one of those things was done so that he might have the opportunity to preach the kingdom of God. Jesus, nobody can argue. Read. We're in Mark. Several years ago we did John. On your own, read Matthew and Luke. Jesus met a lot of needs. The most important need was he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. Prayer of Jesus, preaching of Jesus. And that leads us right into the next section of this story. And that is the passion of Jesus. Look in verse 40. There came a leper to him beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed, and he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze and abroad the matter, 
insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every corner. We all know the term leprosy. If you've been in, in the church, you've heard the term leprosy. We are honestly, thankfully, not really familiar with leprosy. Leprosy was by far the most feared disease of the ancient world, largely because they didn't understand it and could not explain it, and we're not even completely sure how it was transmitted. They, leprosy was a terrible physical disease. But not only that, not only the physical issues, but because of the leprosy, a leper was considered to be unclean and was ostracized from his family, from his work, from the community, and required to live out in either by himself or in an area out separate where no one but lepers live. And if anyone started past them, if they came near anyone else, it would cause the HIPAA people to lose their minds. But if anyone else came near them, they were required to yell out, Unclean! Can you imagine that in our society today? That if you had a sickness, had a disease, if the doctor diagnosed you with something, when you went to the mall, you went walking down the street, when somebody came near you, you had to holler out your diagnosis to everybody you passed. Can you imagine the stigma? Not being able to see your spouse, your grandchildren, or, or not being able to get close to them, at least being able to see them from a distance at best. Not being able to worship, not being able to work. Not even talking about the physical aspect of the disease. It, 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 it was revolting. It was hideous. Literally, pieces of their body would just fall off. They would just fall off. To add insult to injury, anybody know the number one reason why the people of that day thought someone had leprosy? This is a softball question. Sin. If you had leprosy, it was because you were a sinner. There was no cure for leprosy. Only God was considered powerful enough, strong enough, able to heal leprosy. One of the interesting things is, it's not even interesting, one of the, one of the to add to the horrible nature of leprosy, we know today that much of the issue of leprosy was the fact that, and today I believe it's called Hansen's disease, is that leprosy basically shut down your nerves and your feeling system. And, and much of the disfigurement and much of the horrible physical effects of leprosy 
were because these people couldn't feel. They could be sitting on a campfire and not realize, and be they, they could be sticking their hand in boiling water. Dog could be chewing on their leg. They wouldn't know it. And so much of the disfigurement was caused many times by inadvertently self-disfigurement. Not that they were intentionally trying to, to harm themselves, but they just didn't even know it. And that, that was the condition that they were in. And that was the situation that, that they were having. That, the, that their pain system no longer worked, and so they would end up doing damage to their own bodies in various situations. And because then of those things, the infection and the disease that was set in because of the wounds that had been inflicted in that manner would just snowball. They would again burn themselves and not even know it. And then the open burn, the open wound would get infected and, and, and they wouldn't know it. And you know, maybe parasites or bugs or, would get in it and they wouldn't know it. It would just spread horrible, horrible disease. Third world countries, even today, many Lepers have parts of their bodies shoot off in the night by the animals. Horrible, horrible disease. Horrible, horrible. I don't even think, I, 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 I do not have the ability to fully comprehend and explain nature of leprosy. But there are a couple of words in this last paragraph that I want you to see. Right there in the middle. You see those words? Three things that will make us a great church, make you a great believer. The prayers, the preaching, and the passion. As horrible as that disease was, you see those words? Five of them. And Jesus moved with compassion. Some of you, I'm sure, did not like how vividly I tried to describe leprosy. And I did it on purpose. I hope it kind of got to you a little bit. I could see the look on many of your faces I can see specifically because she's close enough to me. I can see the look on Debbie's face, and I'm sure much of that comes from her experience in healthcare. I can see that it, it, it visibly moved her to think about someone in that predicament. 
and particularly someone in that predicament who Debbie, having devoted her entire adult life to helping those in need, to medically providing, to know that as vicious and as horrible as this disease is, that if she was confronted with it, she is helpless. I could see on a number of faces that the idea of letters and the horrible, horrible disease moved you. It moved Jesus. It should move us. Friends, if the idea of a person suffering from leprosy causes a visible, visceral response in us, I'm going to be honest with you. I can tell you, as I studied, I, I learned some things, some new things about leprosy and. and, and, and there, it, I didn't even touch it. And it, it bothered me prepared. But if leprosy and sound systems see, I gotta be honest with you, that's just how the devil works. Right in the middle, right there. He likes to play in the sound system. I hope he gets electrocuted. If leprosy moves us visibly, how much more should the fact that our friends, our neighbors, our family are dying and dropping off in their hell every day by the multiplied thousands. It's one thing. It'd be horrible to have a hand drop off as a result of leprosy. But how much worse to have your soul drop off in the hell What is the passion of the church? The passion in most of our churches is a full building. The passion in most of our churches is a big bank account and a large offering. The passion in most of our churches is a big good music program or a big good youth program or a big good children's program, something along those lines. Folks, until our passion is what Jesus' passion was, and that were people that is people who are hurting and suffering and lost without Jesus, we will never be effective. We gotta pray like Jesus. We gotta preach like Jesus. And we gotta have passion. When is the last time you saw someone on an altar 
with tears streaming down their face, crying, shedding tears, begging God to save their loved one. Until we have the passion of Jesus. Why, why would he get up early and go out and pray? Why would he say, I've got to go preach rather than go back and, 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 and heal those people? Because he had a passion for people who were hurting. It's not about filling up seats. It's not about filling up offering plates. It's about people coming to Jesus. And until it is, we're ineffective. I want to ask you about your head this morning. The invitation is very simple today. Would you join me at this altar saying, Lord, make me that kind of Christian. Praying, preaching, you say, I'm not a preacher, but proclaiming the word, telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ because you have a passion for their condition. You're moved by their losses. Make us that kind of people. Make us that kind of church. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. God, you revealed to us through your Son three truths. We've got to become a people of prayer. We've got to become a people who proclaim the word. We have a passion, a burden, an urgency about the law. God, make it that people. Jesus, I'm not going to have you
appreciate your attention this morning. Uh, let's uh, pray together as we go. As we leave, let me give you one challenge. Uh, probably a lot that we could say from those three things this morning. Let's start with the first one. My challenge of this week find you a place of prayer. Find you a place of prayer. It doesn't have to be fancy. It could be your recline. But find your place if you say at this place, this is where I'm going to meet God. You, you may need to make that call that are somewhere away from the kids or the grandkids. Might be on your back porch in the swing. I don't you know, your solitary place. Bob didn't give us any direction, it just said a solitary place. When you try to find that place this week, you got a spare room, whatever. Some of you hadn't watched it, dig after the movie from a few years ago, The War Room, uh, and, uh, and look at it. Um, that might give you a little inspiration if I can't. Uh, so uh, take, a, take a look at that if you get a chance. Uh, but uh, see if you can find your place. Maybe in your car going down the road, do what? What? Pick one. This is where I'm going to pray. This is where I'm going to meet. You know, if I don't show up, God's going to be standing there going, because this is where I plan to meet him. I want him to know this is where I'm meeting. All right? Let's bow to this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for allowing us to gather here this morning. Uh, God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I get, um, you've, you've, you've already shown us what we need to know, the principles we need, uh, how to live this life, not just how to conduct our churches, but how to conduct our life, our marriage, how to be good parents, how to be good employees, good employers. Uh, God, just an amazing, amazing book you have given us. God, teach us to love it. Uh, teach us to, to fall in love all over again with your word. Now, take what you taught us today uh, and uh, use it uh, to uh, guide us this coming week. And we'll give you honor for it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.